and resurrection, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's probably nothing new about Jesus' death and resurrection. But if it's become stale and jaded or commonplace in your mind, I pray that you know, this you'll be opened up to see the beauty and the wonder of it once again. There's nothing in the cleverness of my words that are going to make this anything worthwhile. Uh, but we are totally dependent upon God who, through his word, uh, if we're a follower of Jesus, has brought new life to us. Uh, and it's only through his word working uh, that this can be any use at all. So let's come before God in prayer as we depend upon him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the celebration that is Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that this is not just a spectacular historic event, which it is, uh, but Lord, it is the, the answer to your big plan for this world which you created and the solution to the deepest problem for every single person born into this world. Lord, work by your word and through your spirit this morning that we might see the glory of the gospel and the beauty and the hope that it holds out to every one of us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Mike Tyson's probably never going to go down as one of the great philosophers of the age, but he has a famous quote, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. No doubt he's gone out into many boxing arenas with a certain plan, but once you get a punch in the face, it kind of throws you off a little bit. Now, I'll put it to you that every single one of us have a plan every day we get out of bed. Depending on your personality, that might be a very simple, I might eat something, I might watch telly, or you might be the sort of person who's got a planned every little moment of your day. And sometimes the things you plan for your day happen, sometimes they don't. Sometimes things happen that are totally unplanned, unexpected, that mean you have to throw your plans out the window. The key events of Easter that is, Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection were planned. Mr. Robbie, can I just get you to put the control back to this one? Thank you. That wasn't just something Jesus planned on the morning, got up one day and thought, I might get crucified and be raised three days later. Not just something he sort of got out his planner, looked at the week ahead and thought, yep, Friday, death, Sunday, resurrection... Both of these elements were prophesied centuries before Jesus even entered into this world. Jesus had spoken very clearly that his death and resurrection is the plan. Speaking to his disciples, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. He doesn't put it out to his disciples and say, this is an idea I've been working on. This is my hopes. He says, son of man must be handed over, be killed and be raised on the third day. Do you ever think about that? His plan, it's a definite, it is a must, it is a necessity. It's all well and good and say you must be handed over and die. You could probably manipulate things to make that happen. But to say that it is a necessity that you be raised on the third day, that's outside of your control normally. Unless you are someone who has all power and all authority. 
It's a plan that he's told as far as Mark's gospel is concerned. He's told to his disciples very plainly on at least two occasions and a third occasion when he spoke to Peter about him, denying him, told him, when I am raised again. But the embarrassing reality of the Bible is that on that very first Easter Sunday, there is not a single person who is actually expecting Jesus to be raised. Now, if you were going to make up a religious text like the Bible to try and make up a mythical story to convince people, these are the sort of details you wouldn't leave in there that nobody actually believed that you'd be raised on the third day. Or that one of your most serious followers completely denied you and all of your followers left you when you were arrested. When Jesus was before Pilate, even Pilate says, this guy is innocent. Yet to keep the peace as the Jewish leaders like, crucify him, crucify him. On that Friday he was handed over, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was crucified and he was buried. From the perspective of the Jewish leaders, it was like mission accomplished, Jesus is gone. But as we look at the mindset of the disciples at this point in time, it's almost like mission failed. Jesus is gone. They're hiding, they're mourning, they're in fear of the Jewish leaders. So where's the cause for celebration? The enemies of Jesus are celebrating and the closest followers of Jesus are mourning and feeling defeated. Are the chalky eggs and hot cross buns just there to drown the sorrows of a disappointing end? Well, I'm glad to say that's not the case, although I do love both of the above. But as we look at Mark chapter 16, we're going to look at how it begins with the expectation of one last goodbye, changed by a game-changing revelation, and then a final verse which you're kind of like, is that all? That's a bit of a fizzer. And what does this all mean for us? It's almost odd to read through the historic accounts around Jesus' death because Jesus' death on the cross is one of the most central things that we celebrate as followers of Jesus Christ today. But for the followers of Jesus Christ there and then, it was a time of mourning and loss, not something they celebrated. They thought, he's dead, what are we going to do? We've lost our hope. In all four of the biographies of Jesus' life that we have in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, in none of them is there even a glimmer of hope that any of his followers were looking forward to that Sunday when Jesus said he would be raised, expecting that that would actually happen. What we read in John's account is that they were hiding behind locked doors out of fear of the Jews mourning his loss. Jesus, whose body was buried on late Friday by Joseph and Nicodemus, both of those men were part of the Jewish ruling council who would have been there present when they voted, do we have this man crucified? They obviously would have voted no. And out of respect, they took his body that was confirmed to be dead and placed him in a tomb to be buried Whereas Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, they saw where the body was buried and that was the end of that Friday. By the time sun comes down, that is, 
the start of a new day, which was the Saturday, the Sabbath. A day for Jewish people when you did very little. But when that sun went down on that Sabbath day, which brought it over into Sunday, these two Marys and Salome, they go out and buy spices, preparing to get up early the next morning to anoint Jesus' body. Now, Jews didn't embalm bodies like Egyptians. It wasn't about preserving the body. It was really just about respecting the person who had died and covering up the stench. The Marys and Salome knew exactly where they were going. They'd seen where his body was laid. So there's no accusation they went to the wrong place. But when we read over in Matthew's account, we see another detail that the Jewish leaders were worried that someone's going to take this body So they said, let's get a guard of soldiers around this tomb and that stone, let's get it sealed. So this thing's not going anywhere. Now as the ladies got up early that next morning, they were unaware of there being soldiers at any point. They were unaware that stone had been sealed. The concern they had along the way is, who's going to roll this stone away for us? Us three ladies, we're not going to be able to do it. And it's a sad reality on that early, very first Easter Sunday morning, the only followers of Jesus who were anywhere near that tomb weren't there because they were excited to see a risen Jesus. They were there to anoint a corpse and say their last goodbyes. But whatever plans they had, they all went out the window. As they get there, this guard of soldiers are gone, which they were probably oblivious of anyway. The stone which they had been worried about, how we're going to do that, that's rolled away. But it's not like they see that and go, praise the Lord, Jesus is risen, hallelujah. Or if they were good Anglicans, they turned to one another and said, Jesus is risen. The other one said, oh, he's risen indeed. But they probably thought, ripper, the door's open, we don't need to worry about this whole stone thing, we can just go in, do what we came here to do, anoint his body, say our goodbyes and off we go. But as they go into the tomb, what they see is a young man dressed in white, which from our other Gospels we can see is an angel, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. Could make sense if an angel started to speak to you, they often say, do not fear, because I would. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, He has risen, he's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you. There you will see him just as he told you. In a space of a few sentences, that angel reveals some very significant gospel truths. The one you're looking for, Jesus of Nazareth. There's no doubt they are where they're supposed to be. This is the tomb where Jesus of Nazareth was. The one who was crucified by the Romans on, on the Friday just been. Then he is risen, or literally he was or has been raised. That someone has raised him, God has raised him. And as a result, he's not here. Come take a look. See where they laid him. But go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee like he said he would. Remember what the disciples did when Jesus was arrested? All of them just bolted. Peter was the closest to stick with him. He stayed off at a distance and when he had the first chance and he was questioned by a slave girl, 
He said, I don't even know the guy. I'll happily curse myself to testify that I don't know him. Yet the message from the angel is, you might have given up on Jesus. He hasn't given up on you. He's Just like he said, he's, he's still going to meet you up at that place at Galilee. I know often as a Christian we probably think, now I, I've dropped the ball. I haven't respected Jesus the way in which I should. Maybe, maybe he doesn't want me anymore. But when Jesus calls you, he doesn't abandon you. But within the space of a couple of verses, it communicates deep truths which if you put side by side along one of the most famous gospel summaries in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5, you see all the same contents there. 1 Corinthians, that he died for our sins. Mark 16, he was crucified. He was buried. See where they laid him. He was raised on the third day. He is risen. And his appearance to Peter and the twelve across the both of them. Can you imagine how much of a game changer this was? Here you are, you're thinking that Jesus has died, all of your hope's gone. You go to the tomb, the tomb, the stone's been rolled away. You go in there, the tomb's empty, and an angel tells you, Jesus is risen. This has got to be the best news ever. Or is it? Now, we don't have time to explain all the things regarding the ending of Mark's gospel, but we can be pretty confident that verse 8 is actually the last verse that Mark wrote. Now, some of you are looking down in your Bible, some of you had right through to verse 20, some of you have a Bible that might finish at verse 8, some have brackets around 9 to 20 with a little footnote saying some of the oldest manuscripts don't have this or various manuscripts differ. But you can see why people were tempted to add to where Mark finished. Because you've had all of the, the sense of wonder and grandeur here. They've found an empty tomb and they've been told, Jesus is risen, go tell the others. And Mark's final words says, they went out, fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. What a fizzer. You get to the big climax, go and tell them Jesus is risen. They said nothing to anyone. Throughout Jesus' public ministry, lots of times he did miraculous things and he told them, don't tell people. And the people he told them not to tell people, because of the goodness of what happened, couldn't help themselves, they told people. And now here an angel's telling Jesus' followers to tell people, and they don't. Now, we know from the other gospel accounts that the women eventually did tell Peter and the others. But at first, they were seized by, seized by fear and trembling. Now, we'll never know for sure exactly why Mark stopped at the point in which he did. The view I find most likely is that Mark intentionally wanted to arouse a sense of shock. That when you read things like that, that the angel says, go and tell them, and it says they told nothing to anyone... For you to think, how could you not tell people that? How could you keep that sort of good news to yourself? Go, girls, tell them. They need to know. A little bit like someone who loves their sport, watching it. You know, they're yelling out things to the players on the TV, thinking that somehow the person can hear it, and somehow that's going to work them across the line. 
Or the old school sort of theatre stuff where, where you crowd participation. Who's behind you? But even as a Christian who's familiar with reading through the gospel accounts, does it still shock you when you read that? That they've seen the empty tomb, had Jesus proclaimed who is risen, told to go tell the others, and it says they said nothing to anybody. And if it does, ask again, if I believe the Bible is true, could it also be true of me that I keep it to myself, I don't tell anybody? Because as followers of Jesus, we're all called to speak to Jesus into a world which is lost, to whom Jesus has come for. But for those wondering just briefly about verses 9 to 20, which, as it says, the earliest manuscripts don't have these verses, but apart from the reference to picking up venomous snakes and drinking poison, all of the other content is in the Bible elsewhere. So don't go out drinking poison or picking up snakes. Mark didn't write that bit. So what do we do with all this? Well, even if Mark was the only gospel account that we had, we know from Acts and the other parts of the Bible that the women did tell Peter and the other disciples and the world was changed. The world was turned upside down by this news. But at first... The disciples didn't believe the reports of the women. They thought it was a joke. Then Peter and John go off to the tomb. They find the tomb empty. They come back and tell the disciples and they still don't believe it. But when the disciples see with their own eyes Jesus Christ risen from the dead, this group of once timid, fearful, hiding group of followers all of a sudden are so transformed that they boldly would risk their life and limb to go proclaim everywhere they went that Jesus is risen from the dead. Amongst them was Peter, the same one who wouldn't stand up for Jesus to a slave girl. says, don't know what you're talking about. Don't know this guy. Curse me and die. Becomes, after he sees the risen Christ, the same Peter of Acts chapter 4 when the authorities say, you can't ever mention this name ever again. And he says, judge for yourself. Should I listen to God or listen to man? We cannot help but speak. From this group of once timid, fearful followers of Jesus, the gospel has gone to the whole world. If you're a Christian in this room, that is because those first scaredy cats, after they'd seen the risen Christ, were emboldened and they shared and eventually it spread to us. You cannot come to grips with the resurrection and not have it transform your world. Centuries before Jesus even entered into the world, it was prophesied that one would come who would bear our iniquities upon the consequences, the punishment for our sins to be laid upon him. As the Virgin Mary had the baby Jesus inside her, the angel said to her, you will call his name Jesus because he will save her people from his sins. When he was born, the angel said to the, the shepherds, today there is good news for all people. A saviour has been born. Even the way Jesus spoke of the reason why he came, he said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. 
came to lay down my life as a ransom for many. Even the details of how that would happen, it is necessary. The Son of Man must die. He must be raised on the third day. Having claimed to be God, he lived a life that all indicational evidence pointed to the fact that he was telling the truth. He healed thousands. He raised people from the dead. He showed his authority and power over all creation. In the middle of a storm, he just says, be still. Not only does the wind stop, but things are immediately still. The water doesn't wobble for a little bit and settle down. Immediately still. He lived a perfect life, which no human being ever has. So much so that when Pilate and the Jewish leaders said, what's the claim against this man? They had nothing. Every indication about who he was backed up who he said he was. That Jesus is the man, the God-man that he says that he is. Now there will always be someone who says, well, where's your proof that Jesus was raised from the dead? And I'm going to say, I haven't got a proof. But I'll also say that so many things that we fundamentally accept as fact, we can't provide proof for. There isn't proof for gravity, but we see all of the evidence all of the time. We have enough evidence that points you to a conclusion that gravity is a real thing. And if Jesus was to be raised, all of the evidence you would expect to surround a resurrection from the dead is exactly what we find, both in the biblical accounts and also external historical accounts. A little bit like criminal investigations. Unless someone's got video footage of the crime that hasn't been edited in any way, Usually they reach their verdict by putting together little pieces of evidence and the sum total of those pieces of evidence points towards one conclusion. And when you put together the pieces of evidence surrounding Jesus' death, the most logical conclusion is Jesus was indeed raised from the dead. You had a confirmed death by Roman crucifixion. He was buried placed in a tomb behind a Roman guard and by a stone that had been sealed. The disciples, who are often people who are questioning, probably presume that they somehow took the bodies. The description of them is they are hiding, they're packing it for fear of the Jews. They're not going to all of a sudden start coming out and busting off the, the Roman guards and opening up the things and taking a body and then willing to risk their life for something they know they just made up. And the once scared to even be slightly associated with Jesus, all of a sudden, in the public places, couldn't help but speak, proclaiming that Jesus is risen from the dead. And all of those disciples, with the exception of John, were killed for it. Now, it's not just a few private little viewings, as though there's like a little secret thing, Jesus just... Let the little 12 disciples, we've got to take their word for it. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 tells us that on one occasion, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. And as Paul wrote to that letter to the church in Corinth, he says, most of these guys are still alive, you can go and ask them. So you have the once fearful, 
defeated followers of Jesus, transformed to boldness and victory. Then you've got the once celebrating Jewish leaders and Romans utterly frustrated. They want to bring this to an end. They, they thought they brought this to an end. And now it's firing up again. Who, if Jesus was not raised, they would have had no qualms whatsoever bringing out a corpse and saying, stop it with all your Jesus talk. Here he is, game over. But there's a good reason why they didn't do that. There wasn't a dead corpse for them to find, otherwise they would have. This Jesus died a death as a substitute for our rebellion against God. Just like it was told centuries beforehand, he will bear our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the punishment for our sin. And he rose again, showing he's got power over death. He has authority over sin, power and authority over Satan. And can do everything he promised that he would do. That he will raise us to newness of life, to eternal life. But we are made new now. Forever changed. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that the one who has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him whom for their sake died and was raised. New life in Christ is not something you just receive the moment you die. You are given new life in Christ by the power of his resurrection when you come to trust in him. It's impossible to look at Jesus and just say, wow, that's, that's an interesting story. You can't remain neutral when you look at who Jesus is because in his life and his death and his ministry and his resurrection makes those huge claims about who he is and huge claims about who we are that we have to respond something to, some way to those claims. He says he's returning again to come to judge, to the, collect those who are his into eternal life and to those who reject him to eternal punishment. There's coming a day when all of us will see him face to face. Where it's either the day of the greatest rejoicing, where we enter into the salvation and all our hopes and longings for an eternity with him. When we have validated that our, our commitment to him in this life was worth it and we will be rewarded. Or it will be a day when we look upon him face to face. The one who was crucified for our sins. The one who offered forgiveness and who offered salvation. But we didn't take it. And as a result, we have chosen and we will inherently have to bear the punishment for ourselves. Jesus Christ is too important not to investigate, to not think about what are the implications for my life. And not just taking my word for it, but having a look to see what God has said for himself you've never read through a gospel account or if you've never looked inside a bible we have a collection up the back there i'd love to give some to you and, and work through some things with you but i can assure you this is a day to be celebrated the one who has died who's dealt with the thing that kept us from god that kept us under his judgment 
that we have been raised to newness of life. We have confidence that the one who offers us salvation has the power and authority to grant us all that he has promised. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we only call you Father because we have earned the right to become children of God not by our efforts or by being good, but purely because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross to bear our punishment for us. Lord, we cannot thank you enough for what you have done for us to free us from the consequences of our sin. But Lord, help us to enjoy the thrill it is to to walk in the newness of life that you have accomplished by your resurrection of the dead. That is hope not only for the life to come, but hope for this life in which we live today. Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus. We thank you that you had a plan even before the foundation of the world to send Christ to be our saviour. Lord, we pray that all who hear of the gospel, not only here in Toowoomba, but around the world as people gather in Easter services, that they may see the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done and the satisfactory nature of what he has done to deal with the problem of our sin, that they may, people may call upon you as their Lord and Saviour and know the rejoicing of knowing the living God. Ask in Jesus' name. Amen.